So uh, today, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some things that I have been just kind of swirling in my brain and in and my heart uh, for several weeks. Uh, I believe that there are some basic changes that need to happen uh, in the body of Christ in, in general, maybe in, at Riverstone in, in specific. Uh, things that need to occur, shifts that need to occur, if we really want to see uh, a strong move uh, towards the kingdom of God in our culture. I'm not talking about you know, necessarily Riverstone culture, but if, you know, if you, you, you pay attention to the culture of the day and you look at you know, how America has changed and how even Cobb County has changed uh, over even just the last 15, 20 years, uh, it seems that you know, our culture is sliding away from the kingdom of God. And, and uh, we don't want that to happen. We, our, the vision for our church is community transformation. We want to see a strong move of God in our community that would change this community and make it, leave it looking different than it's ever looked before. And uh, so uh, there's some things that need to happen uh, in order for us to move in that direction. And uh, I'm going to mention three things, but then I'm going to talk about one of them. And, and the three things that I think need to, to happen is, number one, we have to clear away some of the fog around God. We have to clear away some of the fog around God. We, we don't have an entirely accurate view of, of who God is and what he's like. And our concept of God uh, way too often is culturally driven or maybe family driven or, or driven by tradition. And we need to, to dig a little deeper into who God is and, and what he's like and base our beliefs about him on truth uh, and, and you know, who the Bible says that he is, who we experience him to be. So uh, that, that would be the first thing, to clear away some of the fog, uh, not to just carry on based on things that we've heard or been told, but to really seek to know him. Uh, second thing I would say is that we have to narrow the credibility gap in the church. Uh, we have to narrow the gap, and, and this is what I mean by that. There, there needs to be a smaller space between what we say we believe and how we actually behave. And then the third thing is we have to remove the wall that exists between those who believe and those who don't. Now, hear what I mean by that. I'm, I'm not saying that we need to forget about our differences. What I'm saying is that our differences, the differences between those who believe and those who don't believe, should motivate us to love rather than judge. It should motivate us to reach out rather than back away. Does that make sense? Okay. So th those are things that, that our differences would cause us to respond in love and grace rather than judgment, hatred, or, or even arrogance. You know, that, that sense of looking down at people and thinking that we're better than they are. We're, we're not better than they are. God is better than they are. God is better than we are. <laughs> and that, that's the reality that we need to live in. So, now, because I believe that the first is the key to the Second two, I'm going to focus a little bit today on the first part of that, and then we'll, we'll move on maybe into the other two later. But 
If you have a, a Bible and want to turn with me, that would be amazing. Um, if, if you don't, <laughs> if you don't, uh, not only amazing, maybe unusual, um, but it, it would be great. But if you don't, the screen will have what I'm going to read. So uh, Colossians 1, I'm going to start at verse 15. And it reads like this. this the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased. Think about this. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Pretty, pretty great stuff, huh? I mean, that's amazing. It's an amazing word. And as I read through that and continued to read through it, even this morning, I, I asked myself, okay, why did he say that? Well, what, what brought him to that? Because that's an amazing statement. And so then I looked back. And sometimes it helps to look back to see where what you just read came from. So let's look back at at verse 9. Paul says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you. Now he's writing to the Colossians and he's telling them, I've heard about your faith. I've heard that you've decided to follow Jesus. We've heard about this. We've heard about that. And from the day that we heard that you believed, we've been praying for you. And he says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Next. Keep going. Verse 10. It's there. I know it's there. Okay. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So, uh, this incredible word from Paul to the church. He's saying, because you believe, we've been praying for you, that you would be basically transformed into the image of his Son so that you could live forever in his kingdom. 
So it's, it's a big deal. It's pretty important. And so uh, there are some basic things uh, that I think we need to understand as we begin to talk about and think about, okay, what, how do we clear the fog away? How do we get an accurate idea of who God is? How do we get a clear picture of who he is instead of just depending on things that, that we heard a long time ago and have just based, you know, just kind of always believed in and walked in and lived through. And, and so I just, let me get, let me throw a couple of things out just initially, just to help you understand where I'm coming from. God does not 100% agree with your politics. He just doesn't. And I, and I can say that wholeheartedly, not knowing what your politics are. Because I know that none of us have that thing figured out. We just haven't. But you know what else? God does not 100% agree with your theology. <laughs> Tom, you've got to be kidding. I grew up in the South. What are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> he doesn't. There are things about God that we will never understand in this life. There are things about God that we will never understand in this life. And so for some of us, what we do is we just kind of, well, throw our hands up and say, oh, well, God's, un- God's not understandable, so I'm just going to carry on. I'm just going to do the best I can, and uh, someday he'll come back, and, and then I'll know. But rather than that, what I want to suggest, and this is where we're headed today, what, what I want to suggest is seek to know him as fully as he can be known. Even though we will never fully understand and completely know in this life who he is and what he's like, seek as much as possible to know him as fully as he can be known. Our best picture of God is Jesus. Our best picture of God is Jesus. As the scripture that we just read says, he is the image of the invisible God. Now, here's the, here's the thing that we need to understand about Jesus. Okay? So, if Jesus were to walk in here today, okay, not, not, his, not in his glorified body after the resurrection, but if Jesus were to walk in here today, as a man, the way he walked on the earth 2,000 years ago, not, not in sandals and, and, you know, but khakis and a golf shirt, blue jeans and, and a, an untucked shirt, maybe, flip-flops, probably, right? Blonde hair, blue-eyed, y'all know that, right? No, absolutely not. If Jesus were to walk in here today as a man, most of us would like to think that we would just run to him and say, Jesus, we're so glad you're here. We we worship you. We celebrate you. You are our friend. You are our savior. You are our king. We're so glad you're here. Okay, and then there's another part of us that would say, no, 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 that's not what we would do. That's not what we would do. That's way too familiar. What, what actually would happen is we would fall on our faces. 
and worship and not be able to get up. And, and, that, and, and so those are kind of the two camps that we like to think that we would be in. Do you want me to tell you the camp that most of us would be in? The camp that most of us would be in would be, I'm not sure that's Jesus. I'm not really sure that's Jesus. Because that's the way we are. That's the way we are. You know, if he just walked in the door and he looked like a man, if he didn't have on that robe that we know he wore all the time, if his hair was short, we're crying out loud, Jesus, you shaved. How am I supposed to recognize you without a beard? But we would. We'd look at him and we'd say, I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm not sure that's Jesus. Our clearest picture of God is Jesus. And our clearest picture of Jesus is in the pages of the Gospels, the life that he lived on the earth. And that's not the only place to look, but it's a great place to, to start. It's a great place to start, to look at the Gospels and see what they have to say. The Holy Spirit encountered, the Holy Spirit inspired account of his life on earth. It's an amazing place to start. I preached a sermon one time uh, entitled, Things That Jesus Said. It was going to be a series. It was going to be four weeks. Four things that Jesus said. It lasted 30 weeks, and then I just gave up. So apparently, he said a lot. Uh, and, and this today could become that, but, but we'll hope that it doesn't. Um, what we want to talk about today, just five things. Five things that we see in the life of Jesus that can help us clear the fog about who God is and what he's like, okay? So just five things, not exhaustive, but a good starting place, all right? So number one, he loved his father and was not afraid of him at all. That's number one. He, he loved his father. You read through the pages of the, of the New Testament, read through the pages of the gospel, and you see clearly that Jesus was totally in love with his father and was not afraid of him. And, and I throw that on because I, I have lived as a believer since I was 18 years old, so 10 years. I have lived <laughs> as a believer, 42 years as a believer. And I have grown into love, loving him. I have grown into loving him. You know, when I first got saved, I just respected him. I respected him. I revered him. He was God. I didn't know that I could know him. I, I, I just thought he's who you went to to get forgiven. And boy, did I need that. And, and it's only over time that I've come to realize that he was someone who could be known and loved. And even then, I was afraid of him. Even then, I was afraid of him. I, I don't even really want to tell you how old I was when I stopped being afraid of God. Jesus was not at all afraid of God. And, and you know, the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, but this, that's different. That, that is not, you know, what we think of when we talk about being afraid of someone. And the father 
does not want us to be afraid of him in that way. He wants us to believe and to feel and to operate as if he is so accessible. He is so inviting to us. That's why I believe that one of the greatest spiritual gifts that we could have is that, is that gift of hospitality, the gift that welcomes people because that is a picture of Jesus, the welcoming presence of Jesus everywhere he went, everywhere he went, people drawn to him. So he loved his father. He was not afraid of him at all. second thing I would, I would say about Jesus is that he listened to his father and did nothing without first clearing it with him. He loved his father, was not afraid of him at all. But that, that freedom that he had in the father didn't cause him to just go off on his own. He did not live by that rule of the south. It's easier to ask forgiveness than permission. He, he just didn't live that way. He lived in obedience. His heartbeat was to please the Father. To please the Father. And he said it over and over. I don't do anything except what the Father tells me to do. There was a divine rhythm in his life that he lived by. A divine rhythm of hearing the Father's voice and doing what the Father said. Hearing the Father's voice and doing what the Father said. Now, Here's, here's why I think that's so important for us as believers is because that is the same life that we are called to. Now, I will, I will admit to you that when I was 18 years old and I gave my life to Jesus, my understanding of that was yesterday I was going to hell, today I'm going to heaven. And that's about as far as it went. I didn't really understand the idea of following him. I understood that he had died on a cross for me and that because I had asked him to come into my life, my sins were forgiven. But there is so much more to this relationship that we are invited into. There is so much more than forgiveness. Forgiveness is the doorway. It is the tip of the iceberg. And the invitation from Jesus to us is not come and be forgiven. It's follow me. Come and follow me. Come and follow me. And, and I think that one of the things that would be most revolutionary in our culture, or to our culture, one of the things that would be most revolutionary in Riverstone and would permeate out into our culture and our community would be if those of us who call ourselves by his name would live our lives that way. Jesus, I'm not going anywhere unless you tell me to go. I'm not doing anything unless you tell me to do it. I'm not saying anything unless you tell me to say it. That was the rhythm of his life. And he said, Come follow me. Come live life the way I live it. How many of us can say that every, every day when we launch out into the day that our goal 
for that day is to go where he wants us to go, do what he wants us to do, say what he wants us to say. I'm afraid that for much of my life, even though I, I love him and I want to follow him, for much of my life I have gone where I wanted to go, done what I wanted to do, said what I wanted to say, and then asked him to bless it. And he said, come follow me. Let me just throw it out this way. How many of you this past week were in a hurry ever at any point? He never was. He never was. How many of you in this past week had an anxious moment? I think he may have had one. And you've never been where he was when he had it. He was about to take on the sins of the whole world and hang on a cross until he died. And he said, Father, if there's another way. And it lasted this long. Because the very next line was, nevertheless, not my will. So you, you see where I'm going? He said, come follow me. And, and it's just not that simple, is it? It's not as simple as hanging his name around your neck. There was a movie years ago, and I, I wish I could remember the name of it, but in, in this movie, uh, there was this, this girl, and she, she considered herself to be a follower of God, and she had a cross necklace that she wore as a reminder of that. And there came a scene in the movie where she was tempted. Uh, there was a guy that she, she was attracted to and, and he, you know, one thing led to another. They were, they were actually at her house or her apartment and, and he was leaning in to speak to her. No, he was leaning in to, to kiss her, right? And you know what she did? She stopped him. She took off the cross and she laid it on the coffee table and then she kissed him. And, and I just want to suggest to you that the name of Jesus on your life is not something you can take off and put on when it's convenient. Come and follow me. Come and follow me. Divine rhythm, never in a hurry. Third thing I see in Jesus is that he loved people. He loved people. I, <laughs> I had a friend tell me last week that her church was three funerals away from being a good church. 
<laughs> That's what she said. That's what she said, you know. Uh, Jesus loved people. You know who he seemed to especially gravitate towards were the, the people that nobody else cared about. Jesus loved people, and he tended to gravitate towards people who had been discarded either by society or religion. And so if we're following him, do we find ourselves moving towards those who've been discarded or away? Seems like we should move towards them. Jesus loved people, especially, it seems, he was drawn towards those who had been discarded, pushed away to the fringes. Number four, everything he did had a kingdom focus. That was his whole deal. Kingdom of God. Kingdom of God. Look at all the stories and the parables he told. The kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God looks like this. The kingdom of God sounds like this. The kingdom of God feels like this. Because everything he was doing was he was trying to lead a group of people into becoming the kingdom of God. That's what he was, that's what he was about. So think about his life. His relationship with his parents. Guess what it was about? The kingdom of God. How do we know that? Well, they're looking for him. They can't find him. Where is he? He says to them, oh, you should have known where I was. I'm in my father's house. Why? Because I'm about the kingdom of God. His relationship with his parents was about the kingdom of God. His relationship with his disciples was about the kingdom of God. His relationship with strangers was about the kingdom of God. His relationship with the people in the temple was about the kingdom of God. And his relationship with the people in the marketplace was about the kingdom of God. And this is how things have evolved for us as a church in the Western world in, in Western Christianity, the kingdom of God is what happens here in the building, inside the four walls, typically from 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock, unless you come to Riverstone and then it's from 10 to 1130, right? That's the kingdom of God when the church comes together in the church to do what the church does. And that was never what Jesus intended. Jesus carried the kingdom into the marketplace. My wife and I were having this discussion that uh, during the time when we were in college, when I, when I came to the Lord uh, and, and was called into ministry, that uh, there was almost this sense back then that if you really love Jesus, you're going to ministry. Now, I'm not saying that was a sense, that was the sense kind of in our little community, in our church. If you really love Jesus, you're going to ministry, vocational ministry. 
you really love Jesus, you'll do what he tells you to do. That's what he said. He said, the ones that love me are the ones that obey me. And I would say to you today, uh, if you are a school teacher, I don't care what the government tells you. God put you in that classroom to bring the kingdom of God into that place. If you're a lawyer, God puts you in that position to bring the kingdom of God into the courtroom or into your office in consultation with your clients. If you're a doctor, God puts you in that profession to bring the kingdom of God into the hospital or the examining room. If you're a salesperson, if you're a house builder, if you're a policeman or a fireman or a ditch digger, if you're unemployed, if you're homeless, God has put you where you are to bring the kingdom of God in that place. Because the kingdom of God is in you by virtue of the Holy Spirit. And everywhere you go, everything you do, everything you say, if we're following Jesus, will point to the kingdom, will lead to the kingdom. Now, Tom, are you saying, I can't do any fun stuff anymore? You have no idea. You, you have no idea how much fun it is. Yeah, you have no idea how much fun it is to go somewhere and engage in a conversation with someone and be a real person with them and then 45 minutes into the conversation, them say, now what is it you do? What do you, what do, you do? And I'll say, I'm a pastor. And they go, What? Yeah. I had a, I will tell you all this. I hadn't planned on telling this, but I'm going to tell it real quick. So we, we, our basketball court out here has become a gathering place. I don't know if, I don't know if y'all know that during the week, we have people come and play basketball here all the time. And, you know, some of them we know, some of them we don't, most of them we don't. And uh, so a couple of weeks ago, I'm walking out of, out of work and I grab my book pack and I'm, I'm walking out the door and there are four guys out there playing basketball and I just put my book bag down, and I walked out there, and I said, uh, who's the best? And there was one guy, he said, I am. And I said, you are? And he said, I am. And I said, uh, what's your name? He said, Jalen. I said, Jalen, I'm Tom, and we're about to shoot free throws. He said, I got you. I said, okay. I took the ball, and I prayed. And I said, let me practice. And I shot the first shot, and I, and, and I hit it. Didn't even hit the rim, just all net. And I said, you know what? I don't need to practice. One for one. And, uh, and then I made the next four. I made five out of five. I never hit the rim. Holy Spirit. <laughs> I handed him the ball. I said, okay, you're up. Five for five. 
he's, he gets ready. He's bouncing the ball. He's getting ready to shoot. And I said, hold on, wait just a minute before you shoot. And he looks at me and I said, I'm 60. <laughs> and he says, you look 40. And I said, right now I feel 30. He shoots the first one, hits the backboard, and goes in. And I said, whoa, you have to call backboard. <laughs> I looked at his friends, and they said, you totally have to call backboard. <laughs> and I said, okay, we'll let you slide on that one, one for one. He missed the next one. I shook his hand. I said, I guess we're done here. I said, but I'll see you again. He said, oh, you'll see me again. <laughs> I pick up my backpack, put it on my shoulder, and I said, by the way, I'm the pastor. His friends go crazy. You just lost to the pastor. <laughs> and I said, so, if you really want to see me in action, Sunday morning, 10 o'clock. And he said, I'll be there. So, you just have no idea how much fun it is going into places other than here and being who God has called you to be. Apparently, God has called me to be an arrogant trash talker. And the Holy Spirit endorsed it because I, don't, I can't, I have gone out there and shot free throws about five times since that day and never come close to making five out of five. So it was an anointed moment. So you have to hear the voice of God and do what he says. Everything he did had a kingdom focus. And then the fifth thing I'll say, and this just real quickly, and this is where we're going to go uh, for our ministry time, is that Jesus wanted people to be saved. He did. He, he wants you to be saved. He wants you forgiven. He wants you to enter into relationship with him. He doesn't want you to walk in shame. He doesn't want you to walk in fear. He doesn't want you to walk in bondage. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to be filled. He doesn't want you to try in your own strength to live a good life in hopes that it's good enough. He wants you to be empowered by his spirit to do things that apart from him you couldn't come close to doing, like shooting five out of five. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to be filled. He wants you to be healed. He really does. We talk a lot about healing here, but guess what? We, we don't just talk about it. We let God do it in this place. We believe that God loves to heal, and we believe that Jesus wants you healed. Physically, emotionally, relationally, and most of all, spiritually. He wants you healed. And we believe Jesus wanted people delivered. Something maybe we're not comfortable talking about all the time, but the powers of darkness are real. 
And there are people walking around in our lives who are oppressed by demonic spirits. And they're wreaking havoc in their lives. And they go to bed at night and they hope that tomorrow will be better. And it's not. And Jesus wants you to be free. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to we're going to set it up this way, and and so uh, we have ministry teams, right? All right. If you're on ministry team, I want you to go ahead and stand up where you are. Don't don't come up here yet, but stand up. Now, if you, I want you to just listen to the Lord and go where He tells you to go. Okay, I know you guys can do that. And so, over here on this side, in front of the Kleenexes. If you feel God is saying to you, I want you to pray for people today to, to come to the Lord, to, to say yes to me, whether it's first time they've said it or they just need to say it again, then I want you to park over there, and that's going to be your spot. And then right here in this next section over, if you believe God is saying to you, I want you to pray today for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's you right there, okay? You're going to stand right there. And then over here on this first section, if you believe God is saying to you, I want you to pray for people to be healed, physical healing, emotional healing, uh, relational healing, that right here, okay? And then the last group over there, if you believe God is calling you, hey, there are people here today who are demonically oppressed, and I want to set them free. And so I want you to pray for deliverance for people over there, okay? I'll come over there, help you, okay? Is that good? Y'all good with that? So ministry teams, go ahead and go uh, where you feel God is telling you to go. Y'all better not leave me by myself over there. <laughs> All right, good, good. All right, now, here's the thing. A lot of times, you know, we, we have people, people come every week to be prayed for. And, and one of the reasons that it's easier to come is because we're kind of coming, you know, incognito. We've created a culture for coming, and people don't know why you're coming. And, and here's what I want to say to you today. It may be a little bit intimidating for you today to come to one of these lines because you're going to think, People are going to see which line I go to, and they're going to know way too much about me. And I want to say to you that if you're willing to stay where you are, then you let that keep you in your seat. If you're not, then you come. Because God has something for you today. filling with the Holy Spirit, healing, deliverance. Go for it.